Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read something. We put the um, podcast from uh, Wednesday night is on there that we preached. I'm telling you, um, we about ripped the roof off in here Wednesday night. It was, uh, it was really good. Um, all right, let's go right here and then get my stuff together. I just want to share with you a couple of things, too, that we have going on that... I'm just telling you not to, but there is, I'm telling you, we are seeing a move of God amongst kids. We had, not counting in this building, not counting in this building, well, because, but there was 108 kids in that building over there Wednesday night. That's amazing. So we're going to we're going to do a service over there. I've just got it. We're going to do a Wednesday night service cuz I want you guys to see what happens over there on a Wednesday night and we're going to I don't know how we're going to do this, but anyhow, we're going to do the baptismal tank. And we're going to do a baptismal service on Wednesday night. We might go a little longer and tell you, but but we're going to do it the best we can in the time frame we got. But but we're going to baptize cuz we got we got several kids giving their hearts to the Lord lives are being changed and we want to baptize them and we want to teach them what baptism is that it's not just a public it's not if you believe that baptism is just a public confession of faith you've missed the mark friend that's how God used to drown Pharaoh horse and the rider so we believe we go into that tank as a dead man come on somebody and we come up out of that water in the life and the resurrected life of Jesus Christ and that's what we're going to teach and we're going to do a baptismal service on that night and uh so we also got, I think we got 40-something kids going to see Overcomer uh, to this afternoon. So someone just um, bought all the tickets for the kids to go. So, uh, so that's good. Amen. So he may not want me to call him out, but Mr. Gray, wave your hand so you know you're in here. And um, he, he called Wednesday afternoon and brought his, huh, brought Albert. They cut the kid's hair on Wednesday night. How, how, many, hair, how many kids' hair did you cut? Huh? 30-something kids got a haircut. Ain't that something? His deal was said this. Two and a half hours, he sat there and cut hair the whole night. And this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, some of these kids don't even got a dad to take them to the barber, so we're going to come to the church and cut it. How much, how much you charge for a haircut? $15. What's 15 times 35? Huh? 15 times 35. Come on, somebody. Y'all got all the money. Huh? 525. Listen to this. While you were cutting hair, you didn't know this. When you, Wednesday night, there was a gentleman that was so moved by what you was doing. He come, he come to me, and he said, I'm going to bless that man right there. 
So $15, I'm just telling you right here, when you give, when you sow, come on somebody, God always does abundantly more. And the man told me, he said, give him $1,000, so I'm going to get you $1,000 for cutting that hair on Wednesday night. Hello. How many knows that's God? Hey, all he was doing was out of the goodness of his heart. But God always honors when we give to the least of these. Come on, friend. This is where the provision is. When we move in the vision in which God said, and God's in the business of helping those that can't help themselves. Oh, my God. We can go home on that. Mm, yeah, yes, oh, Lord. Hallelujah. We'll have 25 barber chairs show up now. This went on live. Be, nah. <laughs> hey, Lord. That's amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. All right, let's get in the Word right here in Luke chapter 15. Y'all right? There's no way to preach this in 45 minutes. I read this, and I'm going to read this again on Wednesday night. This is in Bill Johnson's book called The Goodness of God. And this is, uh, I, I just want to go after some things right here because actually what led me down this path, which I've been in it for some time now, but one of the things that spawned all of this was I was um, with the Lord and it was uh, last, I think it was last Sunday morning that Catherine, um, she told me right after church, she said that God had, uh, it, was, it was two weeks ago. She said, well, I was getting ready this morning. I felt like the Lord just highlighted to me about writing some children's church curriculum. And so she told me what, what she, she said. I just think we just use the ABCs. And let's write our own children's curriculum that speaks of the lessons that we want to instill in our kids. Because you can get on the Internet. You get, and we have, we've got a ton from Bethel. Uh, they have phenomenal children's church lessons. So she just said she wanted the ABCs. So I just sat down with A and I started writing the lessons that that I, I, I would I want to in our children. And so that's what we're we're working on writing that and Catherine's gonna do it up and and so um so I was sitting there writing and, and we did A for that we're affirmed in God's love. And so that's what we taught on on Wednesday night. And I was doing that lesson and I used this story. And every time I've been with the Lord, I cannot get off of this thing and I know that God wants to settle some things in our heart. Now, we were in my office the other day, Terry and I, and we were listening to the closing of this message. And in this, this guy was using the illustration of the double-minded man. You know, we think of the double-minded man, he thinks 50% right and 50% wrong. But how many knows if you think 98% wrong and you still got 2% of wrong thinking, you are a double-minded man? If you're 98% good with kingdom thinking, but you're 2% with negative thinking and wrong views about yourself... Let me also say this. What you, how you view yourself is your commentary on God. Oh, that's good. How view, you view yourself is your commentary on God. Boy, it got quiet up in here. So we're just going to use the Bible. Y'all good with that? I believe the Bible is, 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 is very good. So let's just, let's just look at it. So this, this spawned a bunch of thoughts. And let's just go with this because I've, I've, I've got to put the, the throttle down a little bit on the boat so that we can make it on the journey, okay? So in this story of Luke chapter 15, if you would allow me the grace not to read every bit of the text and maybe give a synopsis of what is, what is written here in this text. How many knows that the, it is not the story of the prodigal son? That's the first mistake. It is not the story of a prodigal son. It is the story of two sons. And two sons, because there's two sons in this story, and the Bible says that the father, the father divides unto them equally their inheritance. When he gives them their inheritance, that word inheritance in the Greek is the father divided his life up and gave it to them. Come on now. And so one son, the younger, goes out and he 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 blows the inheritance that the father gives him. And it's not long he realizes that he couldn't handle what the father had given him. And now he's living, he's actually working for a guy. And this guy has him feeding swine and he's eating some of the slop that he would give to pigs. And he comes up with this story. He said, I, I need to return back to the father's house. Hello. 
I got to return back to the father's house. What I'm saying in this is I want to tell you that these, these two sons dwell in both of They both dwell in us. I see aspects of both sons in all of us. The only perfect place was the father's house. And he says, I'll return to my father's house knowing now that I'm not good because I've blown it. I will never be worthy to be called his son. So I will, at least if I can go back and become a hired hand for the father. We know in this time, in this setting, that the sons did not receive wages for their work. That uh, the hired help received a check. The son didn't receive a check because he owned the business. Are you with me now? At the age of 30, the father would either give him, transfer the business into his name, or he would set him up in another business. But he says, I'll return back to the father's house. I'm never worthy to be called his son. And so from, from I'll just become a hired help. At least then I can eat better than what I'm eating now. And as he approaches the father's house, notice that the father is out gazing the horizon. The father's waiting on him to return, so he's gazing on the horizon. And the father runs to him, and the son had already rehearsed his story of what he was going to say to the father. And the father and, and the father looks at him and he can't even get the words out of his mouth that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That the father runs and tackles him with his love and he places a robe. The scripture says his very own robe upon the son. And the son, and he places a ring on his finger and he puts shoes on his feet because all slaves were barefooted. He was wiping away every mentality that he had that he thought about himself that he was not good enough to be the son anymore. And so he throws this party at his house and the scripture says they killed a fatted calf. And they come inside and there's music and dancing and the, and the son is eating the fatted calf and now is where the other son comes into play. The older brother comes and the older brother hears the music and dancing and the older brother gets upset. The older brother gets upset because he hears music and dancing and he said, what, what, what's going on in the house? And he said, it's for your, it's for your brother. He's back home. And the, and the, and the older and the, the older brother gets upset with the father and he says, I cannot believe that you're going to throw this this son of yours, notice how he don't even view him as a brother. This son of yours, after he's wasted your money on harlots and everything else and wild living, you're going to kill the fatted calf for him. Look at what he said. He said, you never killed the fatted calf for me. And he said, all of this time I've worked. I've worked tirelessly every day. I've never, dis I've never disgraced your commandments. I've done all of this for you. And you've never killed the fatted calf. He said, son, all that I have is yours. It's always been yours. But the son refused to go into the party. As I was sitting in my personal place, I cannot get over this story. And I'm amazed at how much is in this. And I'm going to do my best just to unearth a couple of things. But number one, I feel like, and I told Matt, that what came to me in my place of prayer was that son was very angry that there was a fatted calf killed. The fatted calf is the goodness of God, friend. God is good. Regardless if you're good or not, it doesn't change who he is. Because you're not good, he never changes. That's hard for us to believe. But God never changes the way he feels about me. If I fleshed out all day, he never changes the way he feels about me. If I fasted and prayed and sat in his presence all day, he never changes the way he feels about me. And we're never going to bring a true, a true expression of who he is until we get this undivided man out of us. Until we get this double-minded man out of us and settle the fact that God is 100% good. It is hard to believe for the religious mindset that a child can go blow it the way he did and still sit at a table called grace. What made his ability to sit at that table was the Father was showing us the, the, he was showing us the fruit that we would be able to eat because he, Jesus, how many knows the Gospels has the setting underneath the Old Covenant? The new covenant don't start after the cross. It starts with Romans. That's laying the foundation of the church and where we live today. Now, I want to go right here for the sake of time and just get where we, we stop. We talked about the ring being the ring of sonship in Ephesians 13, in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 where 
the, where the Holy Spirit is a seal upon us as like an engagement ring. God is sealing this. He's wiping away everything that this son had a thought that he was not worthy to become, to be, to be a son anymore. Now, I want to go to right here in um, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. While you're finding Acts chapter 14, I'm going to read you this out of what Bill Johnson wrote in his book, the good, that God is good. The one thing that concerns me most in the day which we live, in, live is the possibility of another civil war. The reality of that potential conflict is upon us right now. However, it is not racial, political, or economic. Neither is it fault between groups with differ, differing moral or social agendas. While those tensions obviously exist in society, they have permission to exist because of the division that is celebrated in the church. We set the stage. It is tough to, it is tough to get reconciliation in the factions that exist in the world around us when the church itself sponsors the world wars of eternal conflict with religious delight. I'm referring to a war within the family of God. It is spiritual. This one is not being fought with guns and bombs. It is being fought with words of accusation, character assassination, ridicule, and slander. The conflict is over the goodness of God. The spirit of accusation is welcomed in many circles as the voice of reason, the voice of discernment. My prayer is that through an arresting revival in the nations, we will see another great awakening that dismantles the tsunami of the demonic and thrives on the self-righteous theology and the corresponding divisions it creates. The church isn't known for handling conflict well. We tend to be the only army in the world that shoots their wounded, especially if they were wounded through their own doing. When there are doctrinal conflicts, there are books written and radio shows broadcasted to expose and shame those attempting to serve God with their best effort to reach the truth. Good theology is essential, but theology without love is a loud, clanging symbol, annoying at best. I believe that a true discovery of the goodness of God could heal this issue for us all. Now let's look right here in Acts chapter 14, verse 8. I'm going to read this out of the New King James. The rest I'll be reading out of the Passion Translation. <clears throat> Acts chapter 14, verse 8. And in Lysteria, in, in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. How many knows you in bad shape? Look at this. A certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, and look at how the Holy Spirit highlights this, and, and he had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand straight up on your feet, and leap, and he leaped and walked. Now, this is where we were at on Wednesday night, and this is where I closed. How does a man in this type of condition, the Scripture says that he's weak in his feet, he's crippled, and he has never walked, and he is attending a service. How many knows that if, you, if you're not careful, the condition you've been in for a while will become your identity of who you are? But that's never how God sees you. Let me tell you another thing. God will never speak to the old you. He only speaks to the new you. You have more conversations with the old you than the new you. Christians speak to the dead more than any people I know of. God never communicates with the old you. He speaks to the new you whom was created in Christ Jesus. Perfect and blameless and without fault. I'm just traveling right. I don't really believe that. We, that. Give me just a minute. I knew. Listen, give me just a minute. This man is crippled. The scripture highlights what type of mess he's in. 
Paul is up there preaching, as Paul is preaching, something happens in this man's life and faith enters into him. Now the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. That word translated in the Greek God is not theos. It is Christos, which meaning Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of what Christ, what he provided for us on the cross. Faith don't come by hearing the Ten Commandments or the law preached out of Exodus. It comes by hearing about the goodness of Christ. I said faith doesn't come when we preach hell hot and heaven nice. Come on somebody. It comes when we preach about what Jesus paid for us on the cross. When we preach that healing was provided for us on the cross. How do we know that? Because the Bible says in Matthew 8, 17 that Jesus bore my sickness upon the cross. Isaiah prophesies of Christ in Isaiah 53. It says by his stripes we are healed looking for the day. Come on somebody. But Peter records it in 1 Peter 2, 24. It says by his stripes we were healed. So this morning we believe for healing not because we've seen healing but because God said in his word that he was a healer and he said by his stripes we were healed. We don't look for healing. We've already been healed. My God, that's good. We are not sitting here as beggars this morning asking God, please, please would you come and heal us? No, he's already healed us. We need to walk in the provision that is already provided for us. Listen to this. There was a man boarding this ship. He's going on a cruise and he's boarding his ship. He has a peasant mentality and just a pauper mentality. And, and, but he finds enough money to get just a basic ticket to get on this ship. And he packs with him these cheese and these crackers and all this type of stuff. And, you know, like a good fisherman, he's got a few cans of Viennas and he's on a seven day cruise. Well, towards the end of the cruise, the young man runs out of food. And he goes down and he looks inside at the dining hall and it's filled with guests. And guests are celebrating at the table. And they're enjoying, man, steak and lobster and the finest of dining. And the man looks in and he looks at the few cents left in his pocket. And he finally asked the guy, he said, what does it cost to eat that meal? How much does it cost to get a seat at that table to be able to eat that meal? And the guy looks at him and said, man, you have not been eating in the restaurant the whole time. This was provided in your ticket when you got on the cruise. How many Christians are living off of crackers and cheese? Believing lies about God that the cancer that you're going through is a result of some sin. Come on, somebody. Listen, how many people this morning? Was, I was just in Waycross the other day. I'm talking about, well, God's going to steer the hurricane wherever he wants to. God ain't steering no destruction, friend. Come on, somebody. I can't even get this. I said God is not steering the hurricane. I'm telling you, it ain't got nothing to do with God. It has everything to do that we live in a fallen world. Come on, somebody. The destruction you see in the earth is not God's fault. It's man's fault. I said it's man's fault. Come on, y'all. Don't make me get the Bible out of here. Psalms 115. The heavens belong to God, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. But God put us down here as ambassadors. Come on, somebody. And these weather patterns are occurring not because of like, like these people trying to put, put global warming. They're occurring because of Romans chapter 8, that the earth is groaning for the manifestations of the sons of God. God is looking at the earth saying, my God, when is my church going to rise up into the place and take up the authority that I've given? them and become my ambassadors on the earth to represent me in the earth. Come on somebody. That's why Matt took the authority on that stage and said we speak to you storm and say peace be unto you. Why? Because we have a record of that in the Bible. And it just wasn't Jesus. Elijah under an inferior covenant caused atmospheric changes. He shows up and says I'm Elijah the Tishbite and it's not going to rain for three and a half years according to the sound of my word. Under an old covenant. How much more we of New Testament believers in a greater covenant should walk in the authority of Christ? Hot. Now let's look at this. So he's hearing something preached and faith comes into him. So I'm thinking, okay, Luke, the writer of Acts, the Holy Spirit's highlighting this. Give me his message. I just want to know the message in which Paul's preaching so that I can preach that message so that my people can rise up in faith. Now let's look back in Acts chapter 13. I'm going now to the, to the Passion Translation. 
If you don't have the Passion Translation, you need to get it. It's the greatest thing known to man, I'm telling you. Acts chapter 13, verse 38. This is Paul's preaching right here. So listen, friends. Though this Jesus, through this Jesus, so listen, friends, through this Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is offered to you. Everyone who believes in him is set free from sin and guilt, something the law of Moses had no power to do. So think about this. In this day, if you were sick or crippled, society thought you were paying for your sins or you, you had sinned or your family had sinned. So imagine all he had ever heard. Who sinned, man? My God. He's going to school. He's having me pushed around in the wheelchair. You know his family did something horrible. I mean, God is punishing them left and right. So this man, when he went to the Pharisees, all he heard was the law being preached. But Paul was preaching a whole brand new message. Come on, somebody. And when he heard Paul preach that this man called Jesus, who has the power to forgive all your sin, faith rose up in his heart and said, what, I've never found a message like this. You mean to tell me this Jesus has the power to forgive our sins? Now, what, I gotta, what you got to understand, when you got saved, you didn't just get forgiven of your sin. That, that is not the Greek word. The Greek word is sozo. You got a package. I said, you got a package. You got a benefit package when you went to the cross and you received salvation. You got deliverance from your sins. Come on, somebody. Forgiveness of your sins, deliverance of torment, and you got free from sickness and disease. Oh, my God. So literally, it is illegal for a believer to be toting sin, sickness, and disease. It's already been dealt with. You don't have to carry it. You can't pay a price for it. God's already paid the price. Man, I feel like I'm having to plow. That's all. Listen here. What, what gave him faith? Faith that his sins were forgiven. Now, listen to this. Let's go right here to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. No, hold on. Let me finish reading this. Now I got it right here. Man, I've got my notes all scrambled about in tongues right here. Look at verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas started to leave, the people pleaded with them to share more about these things on the next Sabbath day. When the meeting had finally broken up, many of those in attendance, both Jews and converts of Judaism, tagged along with Paul and Barnabas, who continued to persuade them to go deeper in their understanding of God's grace. Listen here. I come up, I got a strong Pentecostal background. Big revival believer. I preach it. That's why I holler. I'm just, I'm just, I still believe in that. But one of the things that we were trained is we just need more of God. That's an absolute lie. We don't need more of God. You cannot possibly obtain more of God than you have right now in this room. Oh, Lord, I'm out there, ain't Oh, we lose some. God, we just need more of you. More of you. If you believe that, then you believe what transferred into your life was not enough. Let's just go to the Bible. We've got all of a God that we're going to get. What you need is more understanding of what you already have. God, I feel the Holy Spirit. What you need is more understanding of what you already have. If you ever understand what you have, you will not look at depravity again with no hope. Come on, somebody. You will look at the cancer in front of you and say, my God, he's paid a price for that. It's illegal for you to have it. Cancer, go in the name of Jesus. We pray for healing like we don't believe what happened. We raise our voices and we come. This is how we pray for healing in the church. Oh, Lord, God, you know they've been a faithful Sunday school teacher all their life. God, you know they've been a faithful student. God ain't healing nobody based on that. We won't find, no, we won't find nobody being prayed for like that in the book of Acts. It's just simply be healed. The devil don't respond to your loudness. He responds to authority. I said he don't respond to loudness. He responds to authority. All right, done lost some right here. Hold on. Let's just go to Colossians chapter 1. Need what? We need to go deeper into understanding of what? God's what? Goodness. God's grace. We got to go what? Deeper. Look at your neighbor and say, my God, I got to go deeper into God's goodness and grace. We got to go deeper. Let's, not, let's quit saying I got to have more of God. Friend, you got God. 
You are in God and God is in you. How much more do you need? You are in God and God is in you. How much more can you get? So what I have to do is have God help me with my understanding. See my prayer. I sit in the Lord's presence. There's a clip from the upper room called Fire. I bet you I've logged at least 30 hours of that playing nonstop just sitting in His presence saying, God, help me. Help me go deeper in my understanding. God, I don't want to be a double. I don't want to be a double-minded man. I want things settled. How many wants that? Colossians chapter 1. All right, I'm fishing. This is fitting the army right here. I'm telling you, this is putting a 357 on your side. Colossians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 24. I can even celebrate the sorrows I have experienced on your behalf, for as I join with you in your difficulties, it helps you to discover what lacks in your understanding of the sufferings Jesus Christ experienced for his body, the church. This is the very reason I have been made a minister by the authority of God and a servant to his body so that in his detailed plan, I would fully equip you with the word of God. There is a divine mystery. Look at your neighbor and say, this is a mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world of generations, for generations. But now it is being revealed, unfolded, and manifesting and manifested for every holy believer to experience. Living within you is the Christ. I mean, y'all just, I'm just telling you, that restaurant makes me, makes me just want to run. You hear me? Living within me is who? The Christ. I'm not going to pray some religious prayer. God, will you? I just need more. I just need more of God in my life. If we could just get more of God, we'd see more healing. If we just get more of God, we see more souls converted. No, if we get more understanding that God is with us every day, we need a revelation of Emmanuel, God with us every day. Come on, somebody. In my lack, he's still with me. In my sickness, he's with me. In my depression, he's with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He is in me. See, if the enemy can keep us blinded, If he can keep us blinded, he will always have the upper hand on you. Listen to me right now. You are not being defeated, and I am not being defeated because I'm not speaking as one who knows more. Notice my pulpit is not on the stage. It's on the floor with you because I'm trying to learn with you, not as one learned trying to whatever. I'm just taking you into my personal private time with God saying I'm trying to work my salvation out with fear and trembling. But I am saying that we are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Hosea said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And meanwhile, we go through our religious exercises, praying this religious stuff and wonder why God ain't even hearing. Come on, somebody. And the enemy laughs all the time when we stand up here and pray these these religious prayers. I'm not looking for revival. Revival came to me when I was 18 years old on February the 2nd of 1998. In the church, this is the problem. We're waiting on some shiny shoot evangelist to come in here with a briefcase and open up a move of God for us. Listen, friend, you got all the God you need. You just need to discover what you got. When you get that type of relationship, come on, somebody, you can sit in any tricycle church and come on, somebody, and you don't have no man needed to feed you because you've learned how to eat the lamb yourself. Come on, y'all. If Sunday morning is the height of your spiritual experience, I'm sorry, friend, you've got to go deeper. All right. Let's go. Right here. Hold on.
There's a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now it is being revealed, unfolded, and manifested. For every holy believer to experience living within you is, is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of the glory, of, of glory. The mystery of Christ is embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of God's glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. What does he want everybody to know? Christ is in you. God is in you. All of God. All of God. All of the God held dwelled in Jesus on the earth and now he's on the inside of you. This is why, listen, show you where we're living at. Get somebody demon possessed. Y'all ever seen Demons. You get you a real devil manifesting. Call the average person. I remember I was preaching one night. I know we're on the internet right here. We was preaching in a certain city. I would say it like the Bible said, in a certain city. We was preaching in a certain city and the pastor was gone. We had this prayer line going at the end of the service. Big guy. Lay hands on him. Looked at him. And I just heard the Lord say, ask him if he's saved. I asked the boy if he was saved. He said, yes, I'm saved. When he said, yes, I heard no. I said, I'm going to ask you again, are you saved? He said, yes, I heard no. I said, all right, well, just do this right here. I said, let's just say the sinner's prayer. Let's just say it together. I said, in Jesus Christ is Lord. When I said Lord, he flew back straight in front of me. Can I remember this? He flew back in front of me. This guy's probably 6'2". I'm going to tell him a story. He's slithering like a snake across the floor. You're slithering like a snake. That's a demon. Man, these people look at me like I'm crazy today. I say, that's a demon. You with me? There was an elder at the church sitting on the left-hand side. I said, sir, we got to cast the devil out of this man. I'm in my, I'm 20 years old. I said, we got to cast the devil. The elder walked out the side door of the church and left. So I was left. I had, a key, I had a King James keyword study Bible. How many knows what I'm talking about? It's about that thick. I hit him in the head with it three times until that devil to come out. <laughs> I was using the best revelation I had at the time. You with me? How many knows the devil wasn't responding because I was hitting him with the keyword study Bible? He responds to authority. But you can always tell where we're living at because we don't believe God is fully in us. We step down in fear. The only reason why the devil slithers, why he hollers, why he pukes, why he does all of that is the manifestation is to put fear on you. But if you realize that he ain't coming out because of you to start with, come on somebody, he's coming out because of the God inside of you, you can stand in full confidence and say, devil, come out in the name of Jesus. Now, let's look at this. Let's go back right here. I got, I'm going to read these few other scriptures right here and we're going to be getting, we're going to be getting close. So who's inside of you? Christ. Now let's look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter right here. Chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. This is the letter from Simon Peter, a loving servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to those who have been given a faith as equally precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and perfect peace cascade over you as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by His divine power. What? Did, did we just misread the Bible right there? It says what? See, here's the lie right here that comes on. If we just had this right here, we could make it better. I could live better. If I just had this, man, if I just, if I was just able to get Pastor Bill's sermons on CD, I could live better. Everything you need has been where? Deposited in you. The Greek is a picture of a plant being under the earth. But what happens when it is watered? It will shoot up through the earth and it will go and grow and begin to produce fruit. This is the life of the believer. What we have to tear down is the lie, as most Christians believe this. It is my job to make me into what God says I am. 
It is my job to live better, to try to strive to be a better Christian, and to make me into something that God's called me to be. The reality is you already are what God called you to be. I'm going to have to stick with the Bible today because I'm telling you, y'all like Catalina New Gate right here. Right here, look, listen. Listen, may grace and perfect cascade over you as you live in the rich in knowledge and everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by his name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desire that over the world. So devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing, supplementing your faith, lavishly su- uh, supplementing your faith with what? Goodness. And to goodness, understanding. Understanding of what? His goodness will add what? Strength to self-control. And to self-control add patient endurance and to patient endurance add godliness and to godliness add mercy towards your brothers and sisters and to mercy towards others add unending love. Since these virtues are already where? Planted where? Deep within you. Oh my God. And you possess them in what? Abundant supply. They will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. But if anyone lacks these things, he is what? Blind, constantly closing his eyes to what? The mysteries of our faith. What is the mystery of our faith? Christ in you, the hope of glory. If he blinds you to what you already have, he's going to keep you bound living beneath your privilege in the kingdom. God, y'all, please see this. So here's the deal. How do I get self-control? It's not through Christian discipline. How I get self-control is my eyes being opened to the mystery of Christ in me, the hope of glory, and get my understanding of his goodness. Y'all listen, it is not based on my performance. When my eyes open to what I have and the understanding of his goodness, all of these things will begin to flow in place in my life. And if I lack any of these things that have already been planted deep within me, it is because I've been blinded to what? Christ is in me, the hope of glory. My God, that's good news. Thank you, Catherine, for enjoying that. (laughs) I'm almost done right here. I don't expect you to grab hold of this, whatever. Your view of you is the greatest commentary on your view of God. You are no longer who you were even on your worst day. I said you are no longer who you were on your worst day. Trusting and learning upon, uh, leaning upon Christ in you is the source of every shred of strength, joy, and healing and peace. Look at our identity right here. Go back to the book of Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2. Look at this, verse 8. Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not on the anointed truths of the anointed one. For he is the complete fullness of the deity living in human form. And our own completeness, what? Our own completeness is now found where? In Him. We are completely filled with God. Church, help me right here. Stay, can y'all stay right here for five more minutes? Anybody else? I mean, if this ain't no good, I mean, I'll just go out and teach the squirrels. With me? Look at this. Listen to this. Where was I at right here? I done lost it in this. What verse? Okay, right here. I see it. I this thing right here. Boy, this is not for people who need glasses right here. <laughs> for they operate. Okay. For, for he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form, and our own completeness is now found in him. 
We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us as he is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of heart and all the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. Y'all, did I read the book right? It says, for he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. And our own completeness is now found in him. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm as complete as I'm ever going to get. You say, well, preacher, I hear you. I hear you. But you don't know the struggles I have with sin. I'm telling you the struggles that we have in the areas of sin in our life is because we have not yet died to that part. We have not reckoned that dead. Paul said, reckon yourself what? Dead to sin and alive to God. I'm not trying to change from who I was into who I should be. God, please make me into the person. God, I pray this morning, Father, you know I come to you just as humbly as I know how. God, would you please make me into the man. God, please make me into the man that you desire I should be. He will never answer that. He is never going to answer that, nor will he respond to that because he's already made you into the man he wanted you to be. Church, you've got to listen to me right here. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, that we are brand new creation in Christ Jesus. What, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. What he's saying when you pray that prayer, he says, son, I want your eyes to be opened up to what I've already done in your life. I have already transformed you. You have already metamorphosed. Listen, every all the DNA to be a, to be a butterfly is hidden inside of the caterpillar. All the caterpillar has to do is wait on the transformation of God. Listen, your job... Your job is not to change you. Your job is to mature in what he's already said you are. This is the prayer. God, would you mature me? God, would you help me to walk in the maturity of everything that you've said about me? God, mature me into who you say I am. So my job is what? Not to, is, is, is not the goal is not to change me. I'm already changed. You have already been changed. In a twinkling of an eye, you went from sinner to saint. You are no longer a sinner trying to live the Christian life. You are a saint of God, the Holy One, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. This is what God says you are. You're a king's kid. You're a head and not the tail. You're above and but not beneath. This is what God says about you. Wednesday night, one of the things we're going to try to do with the children is get them I don't know how this is going to work because I might have a sword fight. But I'm going to create these little swords. And we're going to put all the scripture on there about what God says who they are. And I want them to hang that up in their bedroom when they encounter a teacher. When they encounter a teacher that says you're never going to be nothing, that's a lie. You go back and look at the sword that you created. And you remember what Pastor John, you remember what God says about you. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. Come on, somebody. You defeated poverty. You you, you don't have to to take poverty over your life, friend. Poverty is a result of the curse, and Jesus did away with poverty. Come on, somebody. Listen, the only reason why you end that because you still believe that that's for your life. Do not denounce that. Listen, when we were so broke, I didn't know how we was going to make ends meet. When when we wrote the tie that way, we didn't know if we are going to put dinner on the table. But it never come out of my mouth that we were going to stay broke. I said, God, I thank you that you own the cattle of a thousand hills. You'll provide for me. You'll take care of the vision. You'll take care of everything I need. I just sat in my place the other day and I said, God, you know what? I never asked for this. I never, I never, whatever, this is your house. And if it's your house, you know what? You got to write the check for it. And I thank you that you always pay your bills on time. This is who God is. The truth of the matter is, I'm maturing into what I'm already am. I'm already righteous and made right by God. And the goal is to mature. I said I'm already made right. And I'm already righteous. Well, I'm going to finish with this. Since I'm plowing right here, I'm going to keep on, okay? Y'all all right? We fixing to be done.
Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares flawless in his eyes. All you got to do is read the Bible. I remember when I was a young boy, <laughs> I was listening to Pastor Dale when I was 18, running a revival. He was very skillful in the Word. He is still extremely skillful today. And I remember him just quoting scriptures left and right, and I remember in our church, I mean, they were just burning up the pages. You know what I'm saying? You could just hear them like a Rolodex. Just see it if he was in there. This is just straight out the Bible, y'all. This ain't, this ain't my thoughts. This is God's thoughts about you. Our faith in Jesus transferred God's righteousness. How did I become righteous? You became a sinner. How many sins does it take to commit a, to be a sinner? Zero. You were made a sinner by because of what your great-granddaddy Adam did. I said you were made a sinner because Adam sinned. By one man's sin, death entered into the world. What Paul said in Romans. By one man's disobedience, death reigned into the world. By one man's obedience, righteousness reigned into the world. So if you became a sinner, if you became a sinner by what? By committing what? How many, how many sins? Zero. You inherited it, right? You inherited because of what Adam did before you ever showed up. How did you become righteous? By all of your fasting and prayer, because of your worship service, because of your tithing record? How do you become righteous? By nothing on your own apart. You simply receive it as an inheritance by one man's obedience, Jesus Christ. But if you don't believe you're righteous, you will never act righteous. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. When I was a little boy, there was this, there was this cartoon. It was a chicken hawk. He was a chicken hawk, but he was living with chickens. A chicken hawk is supposed to eat chickens. You will act out your whatever you believe, who you are, you will act that identity out. If you don't believe you're righteous, you won't live righteous. Lord, I'm going to get, I'm going to, you can email me at, at uh, Stanton Moore at sparsefulfly.cc. We're made righteous by what? An inheritance through Jesus. I'm not trying to be a saint or nothing, but what are you trying to be? You are a saint. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. I've been made righteous and right before God, not by my own doing, but because of my faith in Jesus. See, let me tell you something. I struggled because when I lost my dad, when I was 26 years old, he was only 52. And my dad didn't have this long heritage or this long history of being in the church. And, I, you know, and I was I always heard when I was a little boy, you know, we'd go to church and preach. Talking about these hospital bed salvations. We don't even know if the hospital salvations are real or what. You know what I'm saying? And I had all this fear that because my daddy didn't have enough longevity in the church that he went to hell. Let me tell you something. That's a lie, friend. I don't care if you're in the hospital. I don't care if you're on the tallest mountain, if you're on the mission field, if you're in the church, when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart, the Bible says you are saved. You are transferred from life, from death unto life. All right, we got to go right here. Time's running out on us. Listen. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent, permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. That's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance and patient endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who, who of us would dare to die for the sake of the wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will no this is, this is crazy. And, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. How many Christians, if this storm comes ashore 
in Florida, listen to me right now, those that are watching by the internet, there will be 1,000 posts within two days of the names and the places of this storm where it hit of how God is judging us. Can I tell you this morning that God has already judged? I said he's already judged. I said that he's already judged. He judged his son on the cross. And what makes it crazy, why you're like that son that you can get free from the things that you've done wrong in this life is because he looks at Jesus and he says it's still good enough. That is enough to make us all shout in this room. We've been declared right. Finishing with this right here. Everybody stay on that first song y'all are playing right there, and we're closing out right here with this. Ephesians chapter 1. California going to break off an ocean because of the cesspool of junk coming from Hollywood. California going to break off an ocean I want to challenge you with the Bible that you hold in your hand if God had to remove all the righteous out of Sodom and Gomorrah for anything could happen under an old covenant do you think California is fixing to break off an ocean with Sean Bolts, Jack Hayford and the countless believers that are out there believing for a massive move of God what I have problem with listen is when your eschatology takes, takes away faith and hope I have a problem with your eschatology then Eschatology is a study of end time. You believe what's going to happen at the end. But what I'm believing for takes great faith. It don't take any faith to believe things are going to get worse. But it takes great faith to believe that a massive revival is going to come shake this nation. Come on, somebody. Why do you believe that? Isaiah 35. Isaiah 2. Come on, somebody. Isaiah 61. The glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The knowledge of that glory. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's just start in verse 3. We're going home with this. Put your seatbelt on. We're about to land the plane. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us. Church, would you not agree with me this morning? Let's agree with this before we leave that we need a deeper understanding of what's already taking place. We are living beat up, trying to make it, trying to pray things into our life that are already existing in there if we had discovery of it. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us, what? Wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself, even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we we would be seen as holy. What? As holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. Through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would be glorified, would glorify his grace. For the same love, look at this, for the same love for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. The same love God has for Jesus, he has for me. You say, Pastor John, I I, I appreciate all that you said this morning. I've listened intently, but you just don't understand my life. My life is just one big, it's just hard for me. There's things that trip me up on a daily basis, and I just can't never seem to walk in the victory that you're talking about. And you know, Every day that I mess up, I confess my sins. I confess my sins unto the Lord. Let me tell you something. The Christian is never to live from confession to confession. He's to live from faith to faith and glory to glory. Come on, y'all. 
there was this little boy raised in a little fat thatch hut parents had no money he didn't have no toys so one day he was skipping on the hillside and he found this beautiful rock this beautiful rock that had all these different colors in and he played with it he loved this rock and he said I can't bring this back home because I have no place to hide it at home little old thatch hut with dirt floor and so what he did was he found this little place and he dug a hole and he put the rock in the hole and he would run back home the next day he would go dig the rock up and when he digged the rock up he found that there was mud and dirt and all of this over the rock on the rock and it just lost some of its luster and shine and it didn't so he ran to the river and he dipped the rock into the river then he would play with it but at sundown he would go cover the rock back up and never more, the, the next day he would do the same the next day he would do the same the next day he would do the same and finally he noticed there was this cascading waterfall coming down on the side of the river and this idea hit him that instead of burying this rock in the mud and going to the river every day to clean it, why don't I just hide my rock right there in the cleft and allow the water to fall over it? And every day he went to get the rock and it was shiny and clean. Friend, that's a picture of our life. First John says if we walk into the light with him, we have continual fellowship with him. How many knows I'm in the Word? First John chapter 2. If we walk in the light, notice his wording. He didn't say if you walk according to the light. He said if you walk in the light, we have fellowship with him. And in this fellowship with him, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from sin. Oh, this is good, right? I know I got to go, and you do too. You, you, some, somebody's in this room interceding right now. Let that bald-headed man shut up. We can get out of here. I feel your prayer. But the blood of Jesus, what? Continually. If we walk, not walk according to the light. That's what religion tells you. You walk according to the light, but the scripture said, if you walk in the light. You know how you walk in the light? You live in the light as he is in the light, transparent, honest. God, you see it. And now we live under the constant waterfall. Friend, I'm telling you, it's religion that when we come to church and we lift our hands and because you've blown it. This is how, let me tell you how we don't live into the light. Let me tell you what happens on the average Sunday morning. On the average Sunday morning, mom and dad pulls up in the parking lot. They've cussed each other out before they got here. The kids is bad, throw the breakfast in the floor. This is real life. Y'all ain't never happened in y'all's household, so I'm just having to use somebody else. I don't know. We come to church and how you doing? We fine. Glory to God. We blessed and highly favored. You're not walking in the light. Why can't you just tell your beloved friends, hey man, today's not a great day for me. But you know what? God's still who, who He is. This is walking in the light. Walking in the light means I live my life unmasked and you get to see the real person. When are we going to get to see the real us? Living vulnerable is when you're able to tell your story unashamed. We get to see the real you. We get up real close and realize, hey, he's got a little makeup right there. Friend, I'm going to tell you, God loves you. He's for you. He's for you. You think because you're struggling, man, man, this is, how many people have I counseled in my office to start out, am I paying for my sins? You can't pay for your sins. Christ has already paid for them. That's a lie from hell. How many people have we been? How many times? Listen, how many times have I heard this? How many times have I heard this on a child? Losing a child. Why did God snatch him? God is not a body snatcher. I can't explain that. And what I found out over 20 years of ministry, they don't need no theological answer. They just want to know you love them. And I'm going to be here with you. I don't know and I can't understand I don't know why I ain't got no verse that I can point to and I sure ain't fit to tell you I know what you're going through because nobody knows what you're going through except somebody who's waiting through it but I can tell you this I'm going to love you and I'm going to encourage you every day 
And I can tell you this, friend. God loves us. He loves us. Can, can we all agree that God loves us this morning? If I've challenged you to the core, God bless you. That's what I wanted to do. Stand up with us. Let's pray. But you cannot be challenged. You, 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 you have to do this. I, there was this guy that I watched on the stage one time. And, and to be honest with you, I'm just not a huge fan. I, we all have our people, you know what I'm saying? But he's just not one of my, I'm just not one of his biggest fans. But he opened up like this. He said, I've raised five, I think four people. He said, I've raised four people from the dead, so I think I'm qualified to talk about it. I said, okay, yes, you are. <laughs> so, Father, we thank you for the richness that's in all of us. This is why Paul said we carry this treasure in earthen vessels. Listen to me. I close with this. When Paul dealt with the church at Corinth, they had all kind of sin issues. And instead of rebuking them and beating them down, this is how Paul addressed their sin issue. I remind you that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm reminding you of who you are. You carry God inside of you. Live according to what you're told him. Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning for your great love for us. Let this word set deep in our hearts. Help us to believe in the goodness of God. Help us to trust and rest in you that you're working all things out on our behalf. In Jesus' mighty name, give God a hand clap of praise. Hug somebody. God bless you. Good to see you. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.